Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. We will go ahead uh, and dive into the teaching here. Uh, Many of you know me because I'm up here in one form or another uh, almost every week. Uh, But this week I've invited uh, Emily Myrie to uh, co-teach with me. And many of you may remember Emily. We stood her up a few weeks ago. Uh, and announced that she was starting a fellowship with us through Whitworth University. Uh, And so she's been serving very faithfully behind the scenes, uh, helping with all sorts of stuff. And I've asked her to uh, co-teach with me this morning. So we are uh, continuing in our series through the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, If you don't have a Bible or you don't own one, There's actually a stack of black Bibles in the back by the door on the way out. Uh, Feel free to grab one of those and take it home and and make it your own. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, that's what they're there for. Um, And so we'll pick up in the the text in just a moment. Uh, But before we do, uh, as you're turning there, I thought it would make sense if we, uh, Emily, if you just shared a little bit about yourself just for context and yeah, how did you get here? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Portland, and um, then four years ago, I started at Whitworth. Um, so I just graduated in May, and I studied theology and piano. Um, and then I started coming to River's Edge just pretty much when it started, so almost three years ago. Um, and then they were looking for someone to fill this fellowship position and I thought it would be a cool way to invest more into the, this family I've been a part of for the last three years. So it's been a really rewarding summer. And yeah, I'm happy to be sharing some thoughts with you this morning. Awesome. Well, whoa, did it again. Uh, well, I'm so glad that my mic is up loud. Um, so glad that you could be joining us. We, by now, you should be turned in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11. And as we've done every week for the last couple of weeks, we uh, have one of our friends from around the world who's actually going to be reading the scripture for us this morning. So this is uh, John Evans uh, from uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. Buenos dias. Um, my name is John Evans, and I work with Regions Beyond in Guadalajara, Mexico, and have the wonderful privilege of reading the scriptures with you today. So we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, to chapter 3, verse 13. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us, 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. And through him, we both have access by the Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple. We had a long debate about how he should send the video. And he said, the only way I know how to do it is through YouTube. So I said, okay, we'll try. <laughs> well, I can pick it up uh, from there. Um, he had an awesome prayer at the end too. But uh, I guess if you want to hear it, you can jump on YouTube later uh, and listen to it. Uh, but I'll, I'll try and pick up where he... Uh, left off um, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit for this reason I Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, and it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets." This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in, in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged by my sufferings for you, which are your glory." I'm going to pray and then we'll continue. Jesus, we, um, we thank you for the reality that's captured uh, in these words. That though we were uh, separated, hopeless, um, cut off, without God in the world, you found a way to reconcile us and bring us near. And not just near to you, Lord, but also uh, uniquely near to one another.
And so and we just, we, we praise you for your beauty and your wisdom that's being revealed through the power of the gospel. I pray that your gospel would be on display in this place and that it would find a, a place in our hearts, that there would be soft soil here this morning to receive what it is that you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The first century world was divided into two categories, Jew and Gentile. And the lines between them were quite clear. The Jews were set apart by God as his chosen people for thousands of years, from the time of Abraham to the coming of Christ. The Jewish people were set apart to be witnesses of the glory and greatness of God, while the Gentiles or everyone else in the non-Jewish world were deemed outsiders. Even though God often used outsiders to fulfill his purposes, the Jewish people uh, over time uh, came to uh, see their, their, themselves as uh, favored and to hold on to their chosenness with an iron grip, which eventually uh, led them to actually hate those who were on the outside. As John Stott says in his commentary on Ephesians, he says, the tragedy is that Israel forgot her vocation, twisted her privilege into favoritism, and ended by heartily despising, even detesting, the heathen as dogs. This is the dividing wall of hostility that Paul talks about in verse 14. And this imagery that Paul is using actually holds a double meaning. In the temple in Jerusalem, uh, built by Herod the Great, there was a literal wall made out of stone uh, that some estimate was five feet thick that kept the Gentiles or the non-Jewish world uh, barricaded from uh, the inner courts where the Jewish people were. And on this wall uh, were signs warning the non-Jews who came to the temple that they were not welcome. They read, trespassers will be executed. Though these people groups, Jew and Gentile, often lived in geographical proximity, sometimes right uh, near or on top of each other, there was a massive uh, metaphysical and cultural wall that existed between them. The Jews will go here, the Gentiles will go here, and never the two shall touch. These people groups had grown to hate each other over the course of centuries. If you think about uh, the racial divide in the southern United States, especially if you rewind 50 years, 100 years, and, and, and think of what, what existed there in our country, the hatred, uh, the violence, the tension. If you think of uh, the divide between black and white in South Africa through apartheid, 
and, and the anger and, and violence and hatred that accompanied that. If you look at some of these more recent examples, you get a sense of the massive uh, cultural tension and divide that existed between Jew and Gentile. But then Jesus comes on the scene as the fulfillment of all that Israel was supposed to be in and through Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, people were at last reconciled to God. They, they were brought near to God. Everything dividing them from God was torn down. And in fact, it was torn down, we talked about last week, by God himself. God went to tear down the dividing walls between him and humanity. Um, and so you and I are now welcomed into the presence and blessing of God. That relationship that was once strained and tense and broken is now fully restored in Jesus. You are fully restored to God through Jesus. As you repent and come to Christ, there is now nothing standing in between you and your heavenly Father. All of that is broken down. But, Paul says, that's not all. Your relationship with God changed, but so did your relationship to other human beings. I want to reread verses 12 through 16 one more time. So if you have your Bible open, you can, you can join with me. This is Paul writing to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish outsiders. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Remember, Paul says, that you were separate from God, you were cut off, you were hopeless, but in being brought near to God, you have also been brought near to others. Jesus has made the two groups one, just destroying the dividing walls of hostility and creating in himself one new humanity. Both have been reconciled to God and in the process, the hostility between them has been put to death. This deep and enduring divide that existed between these two groups is now dissolved in Christ. And this, Paul says, is the work of God. It's not actually the work of the people who were in those groups. It was the work of God. God did that. And while we can sit here this morning, thousands of years later, 
uh, as Gentiles, as former outsiders, we, we can marvel in the fact that we are now included in the family of Abraham. And so we could kind of go that direction with the teaching and just say, let's, let's rejoice in the fact that we were hopeless, we were on the outside, and God has brought us in. But I also think it's worth noting that, that God is still tearing down, dividing walls of hostility today. What he did thousands of years ago between Jew and Gentile is, is the same type of work that he's continuing to do through the cross and the power of the gospel all over the world in all of our human divisions and in all of our hatred. It's not simply that God wanted to bridge the gap, the ancient gap between Jew and Gentile and then kind of move on in the world. God's plan, what he's doing in and through Jesus is actually bigger than that. Paul is pointing out the shocking reality that in Christ, all people are being joined into one new humanity. Everyone who's in Christ. And the greatest of human divisions that exist in the world actually dissolve as they come into the kingdom of God. And this is actually really great news for us because we live in a world that loves to divide and create hostility. And we can look in the world around us and we can see uh, the cultural and political divides between the US and Russia. We can see the divide between the majority culture in the US and Hispanic immigrants, the debates that have been raging over the last few weeks and days and months. We can see the divide between the majority culture in the U.S. and the Native American populations that still exist among us, out of sight and out of mind. We can think of some of the cultural tensions that still exist between black and white in America. The tensions that reared their ugly heads through all of the killings that happened over the last couple of years. I think all the time about the increasingly hostile divide between Democrat and Republican, how poisonous and divisive our politics have come or become. We've got an election coming up and I promise you that our differences will turn divisive and even hostile. Anger, hatred. And what Paul is saying is that because you are a follower of Jesus, chosen by God, forgiven, cleansed, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, adopted into a new family, reconciled to God, all those other dividing walls are now being torn down among those who are in Christ. 
Your hostility that previously existed dissolves as you and that person come into the same family of God. Our hostility has been put to death. And you now have far more in common with Christians in communist Russia than you do with your atheist next door neighbor here in America. You now have far more in common with the Native American single mom battling alcoholism on some distant reservation than you do with your non-believing friends. You have more in common with Trump supporters who love Jesus than Hillary supporters that don't, or vice versa. You have more in common with Hillary supporters who love Jesus than Trump supporters who don't. One of those is bound to sound offensive to you. (laughs) And I don't know which one. But Paul's saying, hey, you are now joint participants in the one new humanity. How is that possible? Well, Paul's saying, it's the work of God. God has actually torn down the barriers between the two, making the two groups one in him. And whether you like it or not, that's already happened. That's the work of God in and through the cross. The world is going to stamp people with different labels. You are a Democrat. You're a Republican. You're a Russian. You're an American. You're black. You're white. You're legal. You are illegal. And then the world injects hostility into the divide. And Paul is saying that in Christ, we are now united by something that is far deeper than citizenship or skin color or ethnicity or common political vision. Do you see that? Our hostility has been put to death. The two groups have been made One, you belong to the one new humanity, which is unlike anything else on earth. The one new humanity should be a stunning unity of diversity across the globe that bridges every gap in which every dividing wall of hostility is being torn down. Anytime there is an us and a them, within the body of Christ, Jesus has something to say about it. And there are so many dividing walls of hostility in our world that we could focus in on this morning, Uh, but I think there's one in particular that we'd like to turn our attention to uh, as we continue. Thanks, Matt. So... As I was thinking about the walls that Christ has torn down and where we are tempted to build them back up again, 
It brought me back to two summers ago when I was living here in West Central with the Karshes. After growing up in the idyllic suburbs of Portland and then going to school at Whitworth, I had spent the vast majority of my life with people who were very much like me. I had certainly been exposed to poverty and brokenness through mission trips or um, volunteering at the local homeless shelter. I began to realize that there were very thick, very dense walls between us and them. For me, it became clear that us are the people who have steady jobs, stable relationships, secure housing, ample physical and mental capacity, or maybe more noticeably, hip clothes, a MacBook Pro, and a $5 latte in hand. While them were the recluse in the house across the street who only sees the light of day once a month, or the mentally ill woman who would walk by the Karsha's house um, while I was sitting outside, muttering nonsense under her breath, or maybe it was the guy who I walked quickly past as he slept in a For, for me, us was the rich, while them was the poor. To be perfectly honest, I was kind of scared of them. I thought they were so unlike me, dirty, a little smelly, and probably ready to snatch my purse at any moment, or so I thought. But as the weeks went on, living in the midst of this tension, I began to realize that each and every one of these people were created in the image of God, with names, stories, and a God-given purpose. For me, this was a huge first step into living into the reality that Christ has broken down the walls which previously divided us. From them. Because in Christ, there is oh. in Christ, there is no more us and them, there is only us in Christ. I could look into the eyes of the homeless guy walking by and genuinely think, God loves this person so much. Instead of rushing by, trying to convince myself that I wasn't actually scared of him. In fact, I came to realize that their importance in the kingdom of God was much, much greater than my human instincts would ever let on. Though it can be hard to admit, and just as hard to even recognize, especially if we're on the inside of the wall, these divisions, these walls between us and them, exist within our church body as well, and have resulted in a church 
mostly comprised of people who are very much like us. The trouble is, um, we gravitate towards people who are like us. People, the people who we think are like us are the people who look like us, who dress like us. But we often towards people. Am I good? Okay. But we often fail to gravitate towards the people who Jesus said would be exalted in the kingdom of heaven. The poor, the outcast, and the despised. I don't think we're being intentionally hostile towards those who are different from us, but that's the thing with sin. It is often unnoticed, unintentional, and passive. We live in a broken world, so we should assume that every area of our lives, our thoughts, our relationships, need to be redeemed and transformed by Christ including our relationships with those who we unknowingly deem as outsiders. There have been some small victories within our church family where a few holes have been punched in the wall, and a few of us can see those on the outside and vice versa. But this is not the fullness of the reality to which Christ calls us. Christ invites us into a reality where the wall is not just broken or given windows or even doors, but where the wall is completely demolished, destroyed, obliterated. And we live together as one body, the homeless and the rich, the former drug addict and the stay-at-home mom, in deep, meaningful community grounded in our oneness in Christ. We have the absolute privilege of being located in a neighborhood overflowing with the least of these, as Jesus called them. I don't think it's very hard to identify who the least of these are. Just think of the modern-day equivalent of the people that Jesus hung out with. The woman at the well might be the single mom on drugs. The tax collector might be the guy who's been in and out of jail since he was 14. The unclean woman might be the homeless girl who sells her body so she can just get by. The man with leprosy might be the intellectually disabled man who's been shunned by his friends and family. You get the picture. These are the people that you don't want your kids hanging out with. They're the people who live right outside the doors of our church. And they are the people that God is calling us to bring hope, light, and love to in the name of Jesus Christ, reflecting the reality that in Christ, through his church, those barriers, walls, fear, and indifference are utterly destroyed. In Christ, the least of these are actually called out as the ones who will help usher in the kingdom of God from the bottom up, not from the top down.
One night that same summer while I was living with the Karshes, I had a dream that I've been hanging on to ever since. In the dream, there were a bunch of people acting out um, a play depicting a version of the story of Gideon. The original story in the book of Judges tells how God stretches Gideon's faith to the limits as Gideon prepared to fight the Midianites. God commanded Gideon to reduce his army of 30,000 men to a mere 10,000, and then from 10,000 to just 300. In my dream, however, the story was a little bit different. It began with a group of confident, able-bodied, everyday people standing together in preparation to fight the battle. But as the scene went on, each of these people were one by one replaced by those with disabilities or physical impairment, little children, and those deemed as weak or lesser. In my dream, these were the people that were chosen by God to battle. But because of it, dream gave me a glimpse into just how utterly upside down the kingdom of God is. It is so important to keep in mind the backwardsness of the kingdom of God and put this at the front of our minds as we seek to live into a life where Christ has destroyed the walls which the world so often and so slyly try to build back up. As I've pondered this dream over the last couple of years, I've seen how much this vision aligns with the words and the actions of Christ. And so often, the very words of Christ that we are tempted to brush over or water down. Words such as, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Or, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. When those dividing walls are torn down, we can see clearly that in the kingdom of God, the least of these are actually the ones who are the most blessed. Even to the extent that Christ identifies himself as being served when they are served. We realize that most of us in this gathering live quite different lives from many of the people here in this neighborhood. We realize those differences create walls. But we know that through Christ, in his church, those walls are broken down. They're utterly destroyed. And that fact should change our relationships, our church, and our lives. So how do we even start to live into this reality? I think one step into living into this reality 
is to simply model our lives around the life of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did when he saw the poor and how they were left to the margins of society? He made friends with them. It often really is that simple. Shane Claiborne, the Christian activist, once said, the problem with Christians is not that they don't care about the poor, it's that they don't know the poor. That homeless lady on the front steps, make friends with her. That guy pushing the shopping cart of garbage down the sidewalk, make friends with him. That probably sounds terrifying to most of us. We like to make friends with people who are like us, people who are on the same side of the wall as us, while keeping those who are on the other side as, at a distance by sending a check in the mail to our favorite nonprofit or donating a bag of groceries to the local food bank. But that is no longer our reality. The walls are broken down. And all the poor, rich, healthy, sick, drug addict, and church kid, we all stand in the light as it comes streaming out over the rubble of the wall that once divided us. And our call is to meet those who are still facing away from that light. Those who, like the Gentiles, are hopeless, godless, and far away, take them by the hand, even if it's a little dirty, and turn them around to see the wonderful riches of Christ's mercy, love, and life that we've been given. So good. I, yeah, and it's, I have to stand. I don't know how to sit and talk. Um, <clears throat> but it's worth noting, I love what, what Emily was sharing, and it's worth noting, uh, if you look historically um, all the way back to the early church and what was happening there, uh, right after, like, Jesus rises from the dead, this news ripples across the world, these worshiping communities come into being, and the reason that you read so much about Jew and Gentile in the New Testament is because that was the, that was the big division, that was the hot topic of the day, and yet, as these new worshiping communities came into being, all of a sudden, you had Jew and Gentile worshiping Jesus together, like in the same physical place. They, they were sharing meals together, which to us doesn't really mean anything. Like, I don't care who's eating next to me at Chipotle or whatever, you know? Like, we just don't think in those categories. In many of these cultures, it was strictly forbidden for Jews and Gentiles to eat together. That was an intimate act that you would, you would never cross over those lines. And all of a sudden, in Jesus, you had Jew and Gentile coming together, and, and the world took note. If you were on the streets in Rome and you saw Jews and Gentiles walking into the same building, you would instantly want to know what that was. If you saw them worshiping together in public or semi-public spaces, you, would, you were drawn in. What is happening right now? How on earth are Jews and Gentiles standing side by, standing hand in hand, sharing meals together? This should not be possible. There's no other force in the world that could unite those two groups. And, and so their joint worship was actually a testimony to the fact that Jesus was back from the dead. It was an apologetic 
to that culture. It was proof of God's existence because there was no other way to explain those people coming together in that place. And so as we've been wrestling through this stuff, and Emily and I have been chatting through these topics, I've, I've questioned, hey, what's the modern day equivalent of that? Right? Like, what's the mo- what are the modern day divides that would cause the world to turn and say, wait a second, we, we haven't seen any other force that could bring these groups together and make them one? Uh, and, and I think in our context, it's the rich and the poor. I think it's the haves and the have-nots. Could we be a more diverse church ethnically? Absolutely we could. It is my hope and prayer that we grow in our cultural, in our ethnic, in our our racial diversity. But I also see that we have people in this community born in Honduras, and in Colombia, and in Ukraine, and in Detroit, Michigan. All of us grew up in different cultures, in different contexts, speaking different languages. And yet, even in in a church as small as this one, I, I see all of those different people coming together as one. And as, as one new humanity in Christ. I see Jesus doing that work. And we want more of that to happen, absolutely. But it also leads me to believe that that isn't our biggest wall. I, I think the biggest wall facing our community in this context, in this neighborhood, is actually a socioeconomic wall. I think it's the divide between rich and poor. It's the biggest wall that's still standing. And when I run that back through the grid of the first century, I think that would actually be the greatest testimony to our city. That would actually make the strongest statement about the inbreaking kingdom of God is to see rich and poor, the haves and the have-nots coming from different cultures, different contexts, listening to different music, talking about you know, everything But wait a second, why are they all going into the same building? Because you go anywhere else in the culture and you don't see that happening outside of like the DMV or something like that. (laughs) But I think that is actually the greatest statement that can be made by the gathered church in the city of Spokane is rich and poor all across the socioeconomic spectrum coming together in one place, not in separate churches, but in one place to worship the same God. Thanks, Matt. So, in the end, it is not our thoughts about the new oneness of humanity through Christ that matter the most. It's the way that we live our lives. So, we need to think to ourselves, Does who we interact with, talk to, and take an interest in reflect more the way of the world? Similar socioeconomic status, similar background, similar look. Or the reality of the absolute unity and oneness of previously polarized groups through what Christ has done on the cross.
if God has called us to be here in West Central, which I believe he has, I think we need to make some changes, guided by the Holy Spirit, to be a truly incarnational church in this neighborhood. We thought it would be good um, for us to take just a few minutes to gather with the people around us in prayer and ask God to search our hearts and to guide us forward. A few weeks ago, I felt that God gave me three things that we as a church could be praying into. So um, if you would like some guidance in your prayer, you can turn to the screen and I'll read it and then we'll spend a few minutes in prayer. And if River's Edge is, uh, if you're new to River's Edge or you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, that's totally fine. You can just um, listen or pray on your own. So pray with me and then turn to the people with you.